Hello, welcome to the Richard Herring podcast feed powered by ACAST Plus. Thanks so much for listening to these. Do tell your friends if you enjoy them. The Can I Have My Ball Back Tour is back on the road this week. We're in London on the 7th in the Bloomsbury Theatre and Leicester Square Theatre on the 9th. I've got quite a lot of tickets to sell for both of those, so if you're in London, please come along. Then the 13th in Cambridge, few tickets left for that one. Uh, Leicester on the 14th, Leeds on the 15th. Uh, Salford on the 16th, Newcastle on the 17th, which is sold out on the website, but I think there might be a few more tickets to release. Uh, So do come along if you want to see me talk about my balls and one of them not being here anymore. It's a very funny show. Four star reviews in the Telegraph and the Standard. Um, Anyway, look, let's sit back, relax and enjoy another fantastic podcast from Richard Herring, the genius podcaster. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the ballroom at the Assembly Rooms. Please welcome a man who's been socialising more with chess pieces than he has with human beings. It's Richard Herring. Hooray! Hello! Welcome. I just said to our guest, no one's fallen over the edge of the stage yet, and I just thought I nearly did it. I just, I just nearly did. There's a, little, there's a little gap down there you can go over the edge of if you're not careful. That would have been, that would have been a nice penultimate show. Anyway, well, hello. Lovely to see you all. Thank you for coming out uh, on this lovely afternoon to Richard Herring's Legitimate Secrets for Trump podcast. He's, he's, the, he's the president. He's, he's allowed to have the, If he wants to sell nuclear secrets to Saudi Arabia, that's part of the job. Get $2 billion for it. It's fine. Uh, though I was talking to sidekick Simon yesterday. Uh, he calls it Rallastapas. I don't know if that's going to catch on. Um, yeah, look, fuck. I'm near, this is the second last one. I'm, I'm, I'm nearly falling apart, but I'm still standing. So that's good. Uh, and I'm, I've sort of, yesterday for the first time, I've got my kids up. And so I usually finish the show and go and help look after the kids. So yesterday for the first time, I just sort of hid in a cafe for, for about two hours. And then went back to the Museum of Scotland uh, to look at the Lewis Chessman again. And I bought some... I bought, <laughs> it's my absolute safe space. It's going, and I realised one of the... I'd, I'd seen most of the Lewis Chessmen, but one of them's in a different case in the medieval monks bit. So I thought, I don't want to offend that one. So I went and... I don't really like human beings, um, so I, I prefer... It's my little safe space. I bought loads. I spent £59 on merchandise. <laughs> but I bought a book about the Lewis Chessmen. It's the best thing here. Museum of Scotland is free. As long as you don't end up buying loads of Lewis Chessmen at the end. Come on in. Welcome. No, it's all right. Don't worry. 
No, no, it's all right. Come on down. I'm glad you dressed up. You look very nice. That's all right. That's. I mean, you know, it was. It was. The first two minutes were good, though, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's why I fucking prefer chess men to human beings. So. Um, They look like my crowd, didn't they? That's they look so like my crowd. Um, good. They haven't paid. They haven't, that's never. Doesn't matter. Look, and uh, I went to see a show. I went to see a show. After that, I went to a show, see a show. I saw Pierre Novelli, who I recommend, in a show called "Why Can't I Just Enjoy Things?" It's just what I feel. I can't enjoy anything, and he's. It's. Uh, I think if you like me, you will enjoy this show. It did actually uh, urge me when I went back home to do some tests about my own mental health. Online, because he's had some revelations about his own. Like all comedians have realised, get on the, get on the bandwagon, ADHD, autism, whatever. Get some money out of that. Uh, sadly, you'd think, you'd think of a man who, who plays snook against himself and moves stones around a field and talks to chessmen. You think there's a good chance this guy, I'm absolutely normal, absolutely gutted. <laughs> I mean, what do you have to do to be mental? Is what I want to know if that's if I'm normal. Mentally ill, I'm, I apologise. Right, my... Uh, oh, and I should say, there's a sign, a few people have spotted, the sign as you come in uh, says it's Richard Herring's Rahalastapur, which a lot of people have pointed out is... Um, thank you. Uh, a lot of people have pointed out is... Uh, there's, uh, there are RH stands for Richard Herring, doesn't it? So that's wrong. Uh, and it also says, warning, there are haze effects in the show. There are no haze effects. In the, I, don't know, I don't know what haze effects are, but if pe- I think those people... Who came in? They just thought, "Why oh, the fucking haze effects?" We were promised. <laughs> it was on the sign. I haven't seen a single haze effect. What do you think a haze effect is? Just get some haze. Don't affect you. This haze is easy enough to guess. You don't need to pretend. Have pretend haze. Anyway, I don't know what it is. Um, well, let's get on with the show. We've got a fantastic uh, guest. He is probably best known as the presenter of 10 Things Are to Hate Most about the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> He's also the voice of Tunnocks. Let's not forget that. Will you please welcome Sanjeev Kohli, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. Thank you very much. I love that, the voice of Tonics. Peter Sherevinovitz is the voice of Darth Maul. I'm the voice of fucking Tonics. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. That's all right. What are the ten things to hate most about the Edinburgh Festival? Oh, so, right, that was, we did that in 2008. Yeah. And the idea was, was that it would be me having a rant about the festival, but actually, it was all positive stuff. <laughs> but, the, but the thing, I mean, the, the big old rant was, was like I pretended to be a stand-up called, what do we call me? We called me Russell Sing Russell, I think. There, there were a lot of Russells cutting about. At that okay, yeah. So I, I pretended to be this quite face stand-up. <laughs> I saw a channel, David Kay, you know David? Oh, yes, yes. Hi, yeah. Um, I don't like cooked tomatoes. You should see, he's brilliant. <laughs> I saw a channel him a bit, and, and I was having a whinge about how much it was costing to fly her. And to, you know, and, to, and to buy dinner for someone who was sick in my shoes, who was a producer, who was never going to give me any work. Right. And like, like a five grand bill at the end of the festival. So, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the serious bit was like how hard it is yeah. for a stand-up, because I'm not a stand-up. And it gave you more fear, you know, yeah. to, you know to, to get into the game. So, um, but no, obviously I love the festival, although it does, <laughs> it overwhelms me. It absolutely overwhelms me. It's tiring just walking around here. Yeah. I don't mean the geography, I just mean the, the sheer weight of expectation and pressure of seeing stuff and 
you know, I've got pals that are here that I want to see, and I know I'm not going to get to see them all, and my Catholic stroke seat guilt k- kicks in, and <laughs> it's, uh, it's horrific. You just have to say you're going to see them. That's all you Yeah, and then just, just say, say that you did see them. Yeah, and so then, I saw it. Yeah. It was great. You've done it again. That's all you have to say. But it's diff- no, it's, it's <laughs> difficult, though, because do you know, like, you can, you can, you can kid on you're at a big family gathering, and like, no one's going to test you on it. Because you can say, oh, yeah, Ramesh was looking good, wasn't he? Knowing that Ramesh was there. But, like, if you say that you went to see a pal doing stand-up, oh, what was your favourite bit? Mm. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. Just go the bit where, where you talked about being in planes. The bit the, about, the, the, the the about aeroplanes. The difference between cats and dogs, and I love the Holocaust bit. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a shot. <laughs> um, I'm disappointed to find... I booked you because I thought, like, I want to get... Yeah, why did you book me? I booked you? you because... Well, I've wanted to get you on for a while, and, you know, you live in Scotland. That's quite useful. Uh, <laughs> I booked you because I, t- I, I wanted to balance my uh, 12 guests across all kinds of different areas, including international guests, new guests, a uh, couple of white men. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then I thought, I have a couple of Scottish people. Um, then I'm disappointed to find out you are not Scottish. I am you're, Scottish. You're not Scottish. I'm naturalised Scottish. Scottish. <laughs> I was born in London. Yeah, boo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which was... Um, <laughs> Which I can play the immigrant card, so you've got nothing on me. Okay. <laughs> Laminated immigrant card. No, uh, no. My, my folks came over in '66. Uh, did they have an arranged marriage? Yes. Lunch was at two. Dancing was at five. I always do that joke. So I know. I know. So my, my, <laughs> I didn't expect that reaction. To be honest, that was quite warm. It was good. Uh, so they came over '66 and. I'm the youngest of three boys. We were all born in London, which is why I say word and bird and not word and bird. <laughs> it meant that when I was like 10 years old on the bus in Glasgow, I really, really over- overcompensated. Really, <laughs> I was Asian. I went to Catholic school. <laughs> and by the way, I've got a fucking English accent. <laughs> so it was like triple target. So I'd go on the bus say, a single ticket to Bishop Briggs, please. A driver. <laughs> And he punched me. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I've always been pretty self-conscious about that. But uh, what I will say is, Scotland's very welcoming. Yeah. Yeah, we know this from, you know, we, we don't have Pretty Patel. Um, <laughs> she, remember, she, she wore that jacket. She wore that monogram jacket to show up at deportations. Do you ever see that picture? She wore a fucking monogram jacket, like a ski jacket, at deportations. I thought, did she go around her mum and dad's in that jacket just to... Keep them on their toes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I did a documentary in 2014. So 2014 was a big year for Glasgow. It was the, the Commonwealth Games, came to Glasgow. And uh, so they had this series of shows called I Belong to Glasgow. So uh, they asked me to uh, do a documentary about me growing, growing up in Glasgow. And there are a lot of angles because I was born in England and I did live in a very white neighbourhood and I did go to Catholic school and I was one of two non-Catholics there. And, nice. uh, and I did get into the world of comedy. So there were lots of lots of angles but uh i interviewed my mum and dad and it never occurred to me to ask my dad i said when did you feel at home in glasgow because he he came over to the uk when in his 30s retrained as a teacher in dundee and then moved us all up to glasgow i said what when did you feel at home in glasgow he said about 20 minutes after i got there he said i didn't fully understand what they were saying to me but it felt welcoming <laughs> So, um, I'm as Scottish as they come, Richard. Don't try, yeah. don't try any of that shit with me. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you it. I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll, I'll, allow, I'll allow it. I'm going to allow it. Well, I'm hoping to become Scottish myself. I've been here enough. 
and uh, I'm, I don't want to be in England for, for any longer. Although it's getting a bit too hot in Scotland for me, really, now. I always like spending the summer here. Well, where, where are you living these days? I'm living in Hertfordshire now. Ah, the, the no, you're missing the cut-off point because I've put in a, a white paper to move Hadrian's Wall to Ashby de la Zouche. Okay, yeah, that'd be good. But you're not going to... That won't... You, that you're one, I'll, still, style, I'll still be you? well south there, yeah. Yeah, yeah so you, you, you'll have to move a little bit further north and then yeah. you can be included because... I say that, though, but that Rochdale, Rochdale voted UKIP, didn't they? So we, they can fuck off. <laughs> um, but for the most part, for the most part, um, I feel really at home when I'm in Manchester. I, th- I, I feel like it's Scotland, really. Yeah. Shouldn't really be in England, Manchester. Yeah, well, it's sort of weird the way the north of England sort of rallied around the Tories last yeah. time, because you would think. Yeah, I, that, that baffled me. I yeah. have to say that baffled me, and that clearly was a lot of racist cars being played. I didn't think Morrissey would buy into it. I'll be honest. <laughs> that was a bit left field. Wasn't see, didn't see that coming. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I do feel like like because there's this whole narrative about Scottish people hating English people. We don't. We just hate the cunts that are English. <laughs> And there are cunts that are Scottish, I'm related to one. So I, 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 <laughs> there, there is, there is a dif- differential, but I do feel that, like, I don't want to get too heavily political, but, you know, I, I look at the people that are supposed to represent UK as a nation, and I see that Jacob Rees-Mogg is in the picture. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Microsoft paperclip. <laughs> and then I see Nadine Doris, who's from Liverpool, from Liverpool, and is Tory. And then I see, I mean, I just think I can't, even David Cameron, I mean, no, I didn't connect with them either, but, uh, you know, I, I can't c- connect with any of those people. And I don't see them as just English. I see them as very Southeast English. I know Nadine Dorsey and Liverpool, but I just feel a bit like culturally divorced from that bit of the world now. And it was where I was born. I've got family yeah. there. Yeah. And they aren't all like that. No. <laughs> but I, I just feel it's a very different vibe the further north you go. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I you know I grew, well I I I love it in Scotland. Please let me come and live here when the when the end times. <laughs> I think we're I think we're well into the end times to be fair. But never mind. Um, you you grew up in Glasgow and you went to university in Glasgow. That's, that's quite a, an, that's an unusual choice, isn't it? No, not in Glasgow. Okay. A lot of people stay at home in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, weirdly, my daughter just got into law school at Glasgow Uni like yesterday. And she's going to be staying... She's got a flat, though. She's not going to be staying at home. But I did stay at home. Right. But that's a big thing in Glasgow, weirdly. It's a bit of an anomaly. I think it, what it is, is it's like, you're told at school, well, why would you go anywhere else? Your Glasgow <laughs> University's right there. Yeah. The art school's right there, world-renowned art school. If you've ever been to Glasgow University, I mean, some of it's a, an architectural nightmare, but a lot of it's really beautiful. And I was a walking distance from it, and I was like, yeah, why would I go anywhere else? And also, I am what's called a shite bag as well. I don't, um, <laughs> I'm just, I, I was scared of everything until about the age of 18, 19. So it, it made sense for me to stay at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that, that's a big old thing. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but I think you'll probably find a disproportionate number of Glaswegians stay in Glasgow that's to go to university. That's interesting. Um, so how did you, you studied medicine and then moved to maths. Yeah. How did you get into comedy? Because you got into comedy writing quite, quite early, didn't you? Well, so basically, yeah, I thought from the age of about 11 or 12 that I wanted to be a doctor. And yeah. I mean, it preempted. My mum and dad are obsessed with doctors. I mean, <laughs> mum and dad are really liberal by Asian standards, but they fucking love doctors. <laughs> and it's one of, and I know it's such a cliche. I know it's a big Jewish cliche as well, but I think it's kind of an immigrant kind of aspirational cliche that yeah. doctor is God. Yeah. And like, you know, there'll, there'll be family party and say on so-and-so, he's an anesthetist. I don't care. 
I, it doesn't define him. But it just means he's a junkie, because they all are, aren't they, in these statistics? <laughs> get high off their own morphine, don't they? Yeah. Um, so I, but I suffer from glaucoma, which will be another tick for you, by the way, to, for diversity and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's good, yeah. 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 Um, well, I'll take I don't, I don't get a parking space at Asda, but you, know, <laughs> you don't see every disability. Um, uh, so I had glaucoma from an early age, and I was in and out of the ophthalmologist. I think I thought to myself I'd quite like to be on the other side of those machines. Yeah. And also, just the way that the school system is in Scotland, you're having to pick what in my day was O-grades. You're having to pick them when you're sort of first, second year at school, which is like 12, 13. Yeah. So you have to project forward. to, And you're struggling to work out what, you know, do I like Lil Torfanta? Or do I want to be a doctor or an engineer? So I thought, I'll be a doctor, and then I can stop thinking about it. Yeah. And because I was really, really academic, and I knew I would get the exam, so I just went through school, did all the right exams, and then got into medical school at Glasgow. And within two days, I thought, why am I doing this? Because I don't want to be... The, the two work environments are GP surgery and a hospital. And I don't like either of them. <laughs> and then I, 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 we do anatomy dissections. And that was fucking horrific. The, la- <laughs> the last one I did was... So we, the first term was all um, the thorax. It was a thorax, so it's right, here upwards. Then the second term, start, you start with the abdomen. Yeah. And the first thing you do, the very first dissection you do, is you have to empty the large colon. So genuinely squeezing a dead woman's colon and brown toothpaste coming out of, <laughs> of a dead anus. So I thought, I, I know this isn't what, this wouldn't be a GP surgery. I wouldn't be asked to do this. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I'm glad I'm leaving. And then I did maths because I like maths. Yeah. And don't judge me. And um, uh, uh, I was good at it. And um, so... Seven times eight. 56. Look, he's good. He is good. Give me another. Give me another. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I did a maths degree with no real plan. And, and I knew it was sort of a useful degree to have. And then uh, I managed to get a first. So I got funding to do a, a PhD in maths. Right. Which is pff, every bit as sexy as it sounds. Um, and I went down to London, and it wasn't even London, it was University of London, but it was the Royal Holloway College, which is in Egham, okay. which is beautiful, but there's nothing there. I mean, it's commuter belt. I mean, yeah. there's nothing. I literally, I was bored one day, and I went for a walk, and a woman came out of her house and said, excuse me, young man, what day is it today? I said, I have to fucking leave. If you don't know, what, if you genuinely don't know what day it is, I know it was pre-internet, fine, but Christ, if you've not got a calendar with a kitten on it. And so um, I thought, I, I, can't be, I can't be living in here. And then I found out after I left that Egan was something of a seat for the National Front. Didn't know that. Okay. Didn't know that at the time, but it's it a perfect storm. Yeah. So, um, so I left and I came back to, to Glasgow and I sort of um, fannied about and I travelled a bit. Uh, I stalked a prince. For a day. Yeah, I heard about it. So, yeah. yeah, I stalked Prince for a day in Minneapolis. That was part of my uh, American travels. <laughs> um, we, we can revisit that if you want. Yeah. And then I came back to Glasgow and I thought, right, you fannied about long enough. You've watched Neighbours twice a day now for three weeks. Um, you need to actually sort your life out. And I thought, well, I've got a maths degree. It's a useful degree to have. Companies seem to like it. It seems to imply you've got an ordered mind, which I don't really. But, and uh, but seven times eight, 56, I thought it was quite impressive. So... Um, <laughs> I went to, obviously this was pre-internet, I went to the Glasgow University Careers Library and I picked up a pile of forms. It was like logistics companies, accountancy firms, all stuff I didn't want to do. <laughs> but I picked it up and I put it on my desk at home and I remember looking at that pile and thinking my future was in there and I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> uh, and thankfully, about probably a week later, I got a phone call from a pal who had, she was one of the Asians that had escaped. She'd done something, she'd gone into the media 
And so she was producing this radio show, and she asked me, she said, look, this is really left field. What are you doing just now? I said, very little. I couldn't be doing less. And she said, do you fancy auditioning to present a radio show? I said, uh, yeah. And then I got the job. Right. But it wasn't a comedy show. It was like a, it was a multicultural magazine show okay. called Ghetto Blasting. The idea was, I know, <laughs> blasting out of the ghetto by putting all the ethnic things into one hour, which is a ghetto. <laughs> there were no ghettos being blasted. So, um, but it was a magazine show, so it meant like, for example, on the, the first show that I actually did, um, I was doing a, a one plus three discussion about the former Yugoslavia. It all kicked off in Yugoslavia, so Serbs were killing Croats, Croats were killing Bosnians, and, and we'd managed to get like someone from the, uh, the ex-Yugoslavian embassy in, and we had like a Bosnian refugee on the phone. So I'm having to gen up on wow. General Tito and, and, and stuff and, and the whole situation, uh, and then very kind of like, you know... Um, uh, Michael Burke, like, trying to actually, you know, host this discussion. And then, oh, and then I interviewed a Bollywood star. And then, so it was, it was all kind of like, like a magazine. It was, it was great training. Yeah. I kind of thought maybe, maybe I'm a journalist. Maybe that's what this is. But what I do is I would just write little funny lines in the script because to amuse me and the two people in the booth, because no one was listening. <laughs> no one was listening. So, and that sort of got noticed. Yeah. And then that led to sketch writing, which I'd never done either. I mean, right, yeah. the first time I had to write a sketch, I thought, I do, how do you write a sketch? I've watched plenty. So how would Brian Laurie do it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How would Leon Herring do it? Yeah. Um, Badly. And, uh, oh, no, also to, <laughs> no, to be fair, I think, I think it was probably around about Fist of Fun time. Right. It's probably about 94? Yeah, we'd, yeah, we'd 95, we're on TV, we're on the radio. In but that was the stuff I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to be hanging with you guys, but I was presenting this multicultural magazine show and putting... <laughs> jokes in it but yeah it got me to, to write for like for example goodness gracious me it led to yeah. that which is great because that ended up being a massive hit yes. um so yeah it was all very kind of organic but the, the, the kind of headline all the headlines of my career have been someone else saying to me you'd be good at that <laughs> and me being like scooby-doo <laughs> and then learning how to do it and then doing it yeah. i mean i didn't think i was going to be a radio presenter but when i was in that studio it felt really natural i didn't think i was gonna be writing comedy sketches but it turned out I'd learned millions watching Absolutely and yeah. the two Ronnies and Brian Laurie and uh, um, and I'd actually that that was in as much as I thought I was really academic. It was watching the Tube and watching the Young Ones. That was where I actually had my education. So it all kind of thankfully I was able yeah. to cannibalize it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, cool. Well, t- tell us about Prince then. What, what <laughs> happened? What happened with Prince? So I am obsessed with Prince. Right. And. Um, uh, I mean, the only thing really that was wrong with Prince was that he was a bit wee, and that's what killed him. Right. Because that's, no, no, it's what, what killed him was, was he was a bit wee, and he had to cut about wearing heels. And it was the painkillers that he was taking that killed him. Right. Don't know why you're laughing, it's serious. <laughs> he was jumping off speakers and stilettos and fucked his spine, and that's what the painkillers killed right. him. So anyway, so 1992, right? So I just finished, I, I just got my degree. Uh, uh, graduated, it was the brilliant summer, Wayne's World was out I watched it four times in the cinema by the way it's the only film I've ever seen four times in the cinema I don't know why I'm telling you this um, and um, in fact it must be an anniversary, because it must be the 30, 30 years of Wayne's World, eh, 92 yeah. to, to, that's not been celebrated anyway, so Prince was playing at Parkhead in Glasgow at Celtic Park right, now I've got a friend Shabina, who is, I mean I, I'm not I'm not really obsessed with Prince, I, I really like Prince, she's obsessed with Prince and she speaks like this, right? She's very Glasgow Asian, right? And she said, uh, uh, um, I, I'm not going out with any boys because I'm saving myself a prince. <laughs> <laughs> Good 
good luck with that. Um, you live in woodlands in Glasgow. Um, but she used to write with a purple pen as well. She's total obsessive. Right. And we were really good pals. Still are, actually. And uh, what it meant was that she queued up from five in the morning at, the, at, the, at Parkhead. And we all piggybacked, like 30 Asians piggybacked, like stepping over people. Sorry, I'm with her at the front. Sorry. <laughs> so we end up at the front of the gig, right? And it was a sexy MF tour, which was, I think, probably where two years before Prince stopped being completely essential. He kind of lost the plot a wee bit with the symbol thing, and I think musically he lost the plot a wee bit. But then he was still yeah. the guy. And we're right at the front, and it was brilliant. He was, I mean, honestly, he was like there. Chicken, we're here, chicken wire. He's there with the new power generation. <laughs> who, are, who are now an energy firm, apparently, <laughs> making lots of money. And um, Shabina had brought a purple tulip with her. And I, I've got, I haven't got the best throwing on, but I knew I could chuck it further than her because she said, Look, throw it on stage. So I did. Lobbed it on stage, and it landed in front of Prince, and he picked it up, and he sang Nothing Compares to You holding Shabina's oh. tulip. And I'm not going to spoil that by saying that's not a euphemism. I've done it now. <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that. So, um, <laughs> it was a bit of a religious experience and it was an amazing gig and we were all a bit spent afterwards and then because we were first in, we were last to leave and as everyone's kind of making their way out, the tour manager comes over and he, he says to one of the pretty girls in our entourage, the band are in the Marriott. Right? <laughs> Genuinely. Not realising it was mostly Asian guys that were going to show up at the Marriott. <laughs> but like, most of the new power generation were there. Prince had fucked off. Uh, but the, I got a little kiss on the cheek from Diamond or Pearl. Can't remember which one. Uh, I, I met the rapper Tony, um, the keyboard player Tommy, really nice guy. And then it's weird. What, what happened was um, we all ended up at the Volcano Nightclub in Glasgow. And I don't know if you know it. It's yeah. the one that features in Trainspotting. Okay. You know the famous <laughs> Kelly McDonald scene where she leaves the club yes. and Hugh McGregor runs out after her. Yeah. That's the Volcano Nightclub, uh, okay. which is no longer there. Okay. in Partick in Glasgow uh, and they were doing a Prince night and Shabin had convinced the new power generation <laughs> to go to the Volcano nightclub in Partick for this Prince night okay it was so fucking surreal uh, so I'm standing with Shabina who's got friendly with, with Tommy the keyboard player okay. he's like this total Minneapolis dude with like all lace and kind of chained and his hair is like this and he's so this is Glasgow this is wild this is great yeah and um Levi Sisa, who's a really cool guitarist, wearing this kind of trilby and angle with a playing card in it. Probably not, but that's that's how my memory <laughs> tells what happened. And um, he he's stoking about, and this is just surreal. And then he suddenly Levi gets really really animated, like really stomping his feet. And Tommy said, "Yeah, like Levi's losing his shit. I better go see what's wrong with Levi." So he goes over and comes back. Says, "Yeah, so it seems Levi took a fancy to one of your friends, but she's fifteen years old." And he said, 15 years old, chill me, chill me, right? And I'm thinking, okay, either Levi Caesar's got a really strong moral backbone and at that juncture decided to, no, I'm not doing it, either that or he's got form. I don't know which. <laughs> I don't know which was true, but Levi was getting very, very animated about this. So anyway, a year later, 1993, I'm touring around America with my mate Arif. And one of the things I wanted to do, I wanted to go to Graceland. I wanted to see Al Green preaching in Memphis, which I also did. And I wanted to go to Paisley Park, right? Pilgrimage, right? So um, my dad, being a Sikh, knows everyone in the world because we travel. <laughs> and um, so to save money, if I say to my dad, do you know anyone in Minneapolis? Oh, yeah, Dr. Modi. Yeah, I know him. He's, you can stay with him. You, you'll love to see you. Great. So we were staying with this family in suburban Minneapolis. Um, and uh, we hired 
the cheapest car that they had, which was like a throbbing red Toyota Corolla. And we just drove looking for Paisley Park. And Paisley Park is in a place called Chanhazen, which is kind of like an industrial estate. If you're, fo- if you're familiar with Cumbernauld, which you aren't, it's a bit like that. <laughs> Pilton, something like that. Uh, and, but the thing is, is that we're expecting not to get in, but we just drove in to the Paisley Park car park and no one stopped us. Okay. So we're just sitting there in the, this, like I said, this throbbing red car thinking, right, we're going to get huckled. So let's just see what happens. We just sat there and no one came. And 45 minutes later, a four by four comes in and it's the new power generation. All of them, <laughs> right. including Rosie Gaines um, and Tommy Barbarella, the keyboard player, Levi, the guitarist, uh, the drummer, I think it was called Tony. So, oh my God. And also, that was the other thing was, there was a mustard Corvette sitting there. And I thought, well, Prince is obviously in there, but I'm not going to go in. We'll bide our time. I'll, you know, I know how to stock. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the 4 by 4 comes in, and I don't really know what to do. So I just sort of jumped out of the car, and I just shouted, Tommy! And he turned around and went, Glasgow? <laughs> I said, yeah. So he came over and said, like, wow, what are you doing here? And I couldn't really say it. I, mean, I was in the neighborhood, right? So I, I said, well, you know, we're fans and we wanted to see Paisley. But, oh, that's so cool. You came all the way. And so Levi had walked on. And he shouted after Levi. He said, Levi, Glasgow. And without missing a beat or even breaking his stride, he said, she was 15 years old. <laughs> and walked straight into Paisley Park. And then I never got to see Prince because we hung about a bit later and then uh, a r- incredibly friendly security guard came over, right? And like, you know, kind of got down on his ha- haunches and you know, put the window down, put the window down. Hey guys, how you doing? Where are you from? Oh, UK, I'm from Glasgow, Arson, Birmingham. Yeah, do you mind not being here? You're kind of freaking people out. <laughs> Which is a nice way of doing it, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So that was as far as I got with Stalking Prince. Never met him. That is still pretty good. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty cool to get that far. Um, may he rest in peace. Yeah. What a shame. Hope he hasn't got a sore back in heaven. I was imagine though, because remember that year everyone died and Prince and Victoria Wood yeah. kind of went at a similar time. And I always, fast, I always like fantasized that maybe she would teach him the, the thingy song, the Let's Do It song. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, can you imagine him doing yeah. the Spank You on the Arsenal Wounds Weekly, whatever I mean, it was? There's yeah. a lot of, uh, Infinity's a long time. So, if, you know, well, yeah, he's going to meet everyone, isn't he? You've got to, you've got to do what you can while you're there. <laughs> This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah! 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's interesting. We were talking about backstage about... Um, I mean, a lot of the lot of the things that you've done are are productions in Scotland. Yeah, that that are huge in Scotland, like properly huge, mm-hmm. and that haven't really permeated anywhere else in the United Kingdom, or, or not too far into the United Kingdom anywhere else. Um, so, still game, which is a, a huge sitcom here in Scotland that's that has been on in the in England. Yeah, the rest of the UK. I mean, it's um, it's the biggest. I think I'm pretty sure it's the biggest show that scotland's ever produced let alone comedy in terms of viewing figures in scotland it's now on netflix right which is a bit bizarre because i mean gav mitchell who plays bobby in the show he was he was actually accosted by a zimbabwean uh, a barbecue uh i won't do the voice or will i i can't can I? i'm not gonna do the voice she basically said i know you don't i you're, you're bobby aren't you and he said where did you what what so how long have you been in Glasgow? No, uh, one week. We watch it in Zimbabwe. The family love it. Right. So, I mean, you can... I mean, I did, I did a jokey tweet where I said, thanks to all the millions of people that found Still Game looking for Squid Game. <laughs> um, the, the cull doesn't happen till Series 9. And that's really not true at all. But, like, three newspapers phoned me about it. it I, I don't think it's true. Uh, maybe three people, yeah. you know, were expecting this kind of, like, uh, Korean... It's a dystopian nightmare. They, <laughs> they found this comedy about Glasgow pensioners. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely massive in Scotland and was for uh, sort of two, three years. And it was getting such massive viewing figures that the network couldn't really ignore it anymore. So um, they sort of very apologetically put it on. And I was saying this to you. Yeah. What they did was, if my memory serves me correctly, the first time they put Still Game on the network is on BBC Two. And it was, um, they had this kind of comedy zone on a Tuesday night. So at nine o'clock, it was, it was Saxondale, which is the new Steve Coogan vehicle. And I'm a Steve Coogan obsessive, so I'm all over that. Uh, then this thing called Still Game, and then a Catherine Tate repeat. Oh, Catherine Tate repeat. No publicity at all for the Still Game thing. All the publicity was about Saxondale, which is understandable. But I've been told that by the end of the run, Still Game was getting better viewing figures than Saxondale. And I was saying this to you, I think people don't like to be told what to laugh at anyway. I think they'd rather find it themselves and then be evangelical to their friends about it. I mean, that's what you do. It's like with the Pete and Dud tapes, you know. It's like, oh, I've got this, I've got this. And and I've had the other end of that where I was involved in a show that my brother wrote and directed called Meet the Magoons uh, on Channel 4. And Channel 4 threw loads of money at that and I think over-publicized it to the point where I was getting bored of it. I mean, there was a billboard near our house and my big massive mug was on it and said, don't tell people what to laugh at. Don't put the billboards up before the things on fucking screen because they're just going to want to hate it in that kind of British way. And that's kind of what happened. That and it wasn't brilliant as well. <laughs> um, but it was if, if, if it had been given just a more protected kind of first outing, yeah. then, then that's where you learn your mistakes anyway. And then, you know, if you watch the very first Seinfeld, it's not brilliant. No. Well, that takes about two. Well, it's in, things take a little while to warm up, and I've watched all of Seinfeld yeah. quite recently. And for it the takes, pilot, it's like it takes, nothing else. Yeah, it, yeah, it takes two or three series to really hit its stride, and it's it's okay. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting enough to keep going, but it doesn't get good until about th- series three. I don't think it found you because I always think that because I've got a, I'm I've got a maths degree, and that's how I think. Yeah, I mean, it occurs to me now. I'm wearing graph paper trousers, and I've mashed my socks with my 
Fred Perry, so I'm very mathematical in my way of thinking. Um, and Seinfeld is maths. Yeah. I mean, it's the A, B, A story, B story, C story, and the way they all knit up together. I mean, there's a real sense of ah, satisfaction at the end of a Seinfeld, apart from all the brilliant niche observations and the characterization. For me, it's like that satisfaction of how the fuck are they going to tie these three storylines up, and they always do it. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. It is. But yeah, the pilot didn't, didn't really have that. No. no. Well, and similarly, the BBC didn't know what to do with that, and they, they stuck it at, that out at 11 o'clock, and Larry Sanders, they stuck it out and sometimes didn't repeat it. So, you know, it's, sort of, it's, sort of that, it's easy for things to fall by the wayside, but it's sort of... It, it's, do you think it's, that Still Game is uniquely Scottish? Or do no. You think, no, I don't... I think, I think Scottish viewers maybe get a 10% that the rest don't. Yeah. But it's very universal themes. Yeah. I mean... I maintain it's still the only sitcom where you'll see a pensioner with an erection. <laughs> Some pensioners still get erections, and this is not talked about, and it should be celebrated. <laughs> Genuinely, though, it does celebrate, you know, like, and, this, you know, on a slightly more serious note, especially during lockdown, we saw how many people were passing away in, in, in nursing homes, and they just became numbers. He said, no, that's a life there. That's, that's a human being. And Ford and Greg, who write the show, were always very much about you know, all the people, you know, they've had lives and the still game means they're still game for stuff, they're still up for stuff, they're still yeah. cheeky, they still want to do things. You know, not like Last of Summer Wine, which I suppose you could... Because I think people tune in the still game thinking it might be like Last of the Summer Buckfast, right? <laughs> but it's way, way edgier and darker than that. Because there's like, for example, I don't know how much of the show you've seen, but there's, a, there's this whole bit where a lot of pensions are dying because of the cold snap. Right. And they're talking about this in the bar. Yeah. And Tam has got a, pe- uh, a hypothermia sweepstake. So it's a bet who's going to go next. So yeah. it, it just takes it to very dark places. Yeah. But also as well, there's a, there's a whole bit. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the show is where Jack and Victor, who are you know, two pensioners, very old friends who are both widowed, are having an argument because, um, now what is it? It's, uh, Jack's daughter really wants him to go and visit her in Canada. And Victor's son doesn't give a shit about him. And Jack had made Victor tried to phone his son and his son wasn't interested. And yet, you know, I knew he was going to fucking say that. You railroaded me into speaking to him and I didn't want to. And they have the two old guys arguing and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. And then uh, the guy that cuts my hair, he said, um, he, he watched that episode and he phoned his dad straight away and 10 of his friends did the same thing. Right. I mean, so these are universal themes, yeah. you know? It's our parents getting older. It's just people getting older, but they still got a bit about them. I mean, I, I suppose the only thing that's, that Scottish people maybe get is that there's a real culture of insulting, of, of insults in Scotland. It's yeah. almost like get your equalizer in first. So there's, <laughs> there's, there's always a bit when Jack and Victor go into the bar, they, they, there's always like a kind of standoff with the barman. And I think maybe that's, I'm not saying that's not universal, but that's quite a Scottish thing of, okay. you know, yeah. if I like you, I'm going to insult you. You know, yeah. you know if, if, if you're tall, I'm going to call you. It's a sarcasm like taken to the nth degree. Yeah. But apart from that, you know, I, I know there are people in L.A. that watch the show. Cause it used to be that if, if someone got in touch on Facebook or whatever and said that, oh, oh by the way, I, I really love Still Game, and they were from, like, the States, I would assume that it was a Scottish person that had taken the DVDs over. And that was the case to start with, but people are actually finding it on Netflix now. That's so interesting, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was big. Not many sitcoms could do a stage show. And you're doing to, like, 16,000. Was it you were doing, like, we an did, arena? Really? We did the Hydro in Glasgow, which right. is a... Uh, uh, 11, 12,000 seater. And so basically, basically what happened was, was this, the show stopped in 2008 um, and 
I had a theory, I had a theory it was going to come back because it's like bands, you know, it's like, I always say with any kind of like artistic endeavor, be it a TV show or a band, you can like have a graph where you've got the bit at the beginning where you're not making any money, but it's the thing you wanted to do and you're living your best life. And then you hit that lovely sweet spot where it's still the thing you want to do. And oh, by the way, I'm earning. Yeah. That beautiful last about five minutes. And then, <laughs> then you get to the bit where I'm earning money from this, but I, I'm not feeling any more this pressure. I think it's Ford and Greg write every single word. It's still a game. It's not team written. It's just the two of them write right. every single word. Uh, so it got too much for them and they, 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 they parked it for a bit. But I thought, I know what will happen. There'll be, I, I call it the Starsky and Hutch theory, which is, um, do you remember Starsky and Hutch, right? Of course, yeah. Right? Did you like it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, right. If you watched an episode of Starsky and Hutch, okay, so what you probably remember from Starsky and Hutch is the, is the, is the opening credits. It's absolutely, Okay, yeah, right. Huggy Bear, yeah. Starsky with that cardigan, yeah. uh, uh, David Soul breaking his arse on the, the yeah. thing, right? Really exciting stuff. Yeah. They, they, they showed Starsky and Hutch on <laughs> some channel a few years ago. It's really dull. <laughs> it's really dull, but what you've done is you remembered the, like I did, remembered the, the credits, and I think that's, that's the way your brain works it. Give it enough time, they'll remember the good stuff and we'll come back. Yeah. Like Fleetwood Mac have many times. So um, I thought, yeah, we'll come back. But I didn't think it was going to be a, a stage show. No. So basically my agent said, um, what they're going to do is they, they've, they've booked in to do four shows, live shows at the Hydro. I said, do you mean the Glasgow Hydro? <laughs> Not the People's Hydro. You mean the Glasgow Hydro? Because <laughs> you know that takes 12,000 people. I said, yeah, <sighs> that's not going to fly. And then we did... Um, we did a press conference to, to, um, uh, to, to launch the whole thing. And we're walking through an empty hydro. And my first thought was, you could play cricket here, the ball wouldn't touch the ceiling. It's enormous. <laughs> we're never going to fill this once, let alone four times. And then we did the press conference on the Wednesday. And that was to actually, there was a pre-sale of tickets that was happening on the Friday. By Thursday, the pre-sale was done. And they kept adding shows. And it got to a stage where we were having bets with ourselves. How many were we going to... I, I think I said 10, 21. It's incredible. So we sold out 21 shows. Yeah. Then the problem was, this better be good. Because <laughs> that's a long month. Yeah. And we thankfully... And also, uh, people probably don't remember this, but the, the first live show happened the day after the, the, the independence referendum. <laughs> Did it? So in my bubble, Scotland was like a burst balloon. It was like someone had put a knife in a bouncy castle. Yeah. And it was our job to, like, come on, troops, come on. <laughs> We're stuck with those cunts, but let's have fun tonight. Um, and um, uh, thankfully, we got a standing ovation the first night, and then we got one every show after that. So Amazing. thank the Lord. Because they were basically inventing a new genre. Yeah. Because if you think about narrative comedy on a stage in terms of, like, numbers in the room, the biggest panto maybe would be what, 1,500, 2,000, maybe 3,000? Not 10, 11,000. I mean, obviously, you have people like Peter K. Miranda or whatever doing venues like the Hydro or like um, Jason Manford, Kevin Bridges. Can, you know, but that's not narrative comedy. That's a very, very different thing. Um, this was narrative comedy on a stage. And <clears throat> so we were on the stage and we're mic'd up and there are screens. So we know that maybe to... The people I can see now, it's almost like performing it as a play to them. Yeah. And, but everyone else is seeing it on the screens. So Michael, the director, had to direct for the stage and the screens. 
So it was, it was kind of a new genre. Peter Kay came to see the show right. and was asking questions about, you know, like technical questions about it because he, he did. He, was it Phoenix Nights he did in, oh, in, yeah, in did the MEN, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so it was a new genre and it could have fallen flat on its arse. And it must be hard to play that. I mean, as you, you're not, you've not done stand-up before, not that that's necessarily relevant. Mm. It helps, though, actually. Yeah. But it, in, order, in terms of, like, getting a, a laugh, in, you know, even with 3,000 oh, people, yeah. you get a rolling laugh. So well, th- that's exactly that, it. Yeah. That's exactly it. The, all of the other cast... See, I'm the only... Well, actually, me and Ford are the only two that, that aren't trained. Yeah. So I've done very little stage work, right? So all the guys are saying, oh, is it going to behave like the pavilion? Is it going to behave like Oren Moore, where it is like a bank of laughs? Or is it going to be like patchy laughter? Or is it too cavernous that you're not going to hear the laugh? Or is it going to be, you know, like um, slap back or all this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, have no ref- I have no frame of reference. So I'm just going into this blind. Right. Which, uh, maybe, yeah, which maybe. actually helped because yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect. And... It helps when you go in as a team because, you know, you, you, you succeed as a team or you fail as a team, you know? Yeah. So, uh, no, thankfully it went really, really well. And what's really funny is that the people say, oh, how's the tour going? It wasn't a tour. No. It was the same venue 21 times, which is a 12-minute drive from my house. <laughs> and the, 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 the kind of big, uh, for the first show, because we did it three times, the, the, the finale of the first show is there's a, there's a storyline where Isa... Um, uh, makes mushroom soup from mushrooms that she's picked herself, he <laughs> says knowingly to the crowd. And then so she has this big psychedelic episode, <laughs> which involves me in full Bollywood outfit and 12 dancers doing a song. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of did a Freddie Mercury 21 times. I get wheeled on the stage because the audience are thinking, what's going to happen next? Fucking a Bollywood finale. And you can see like 20,000 eyes going, the fuck? <laughs> and I got to see that 21 times. And then I just go to my own bed and sleep. So people say, uh, like, I remember once I got in, I got into the house at about 11 o'clock because we do the show. There's like 45 minutes or an hour afterwards. We meet your friends and people that come, like comps and all that. And then I would go home. Yeah. And my, my missus Fiona said, how was the show tonight? I said, oh, yeah, another standing ovation. Um, I got green top milk for the morning. <laughs> and she said, how can you do that? I said, well, well, what else am I going to do? You know, it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not Big Jagger. I'm, that, this is my house, you're my wife, you know. Yeah. We needed milk for the morning, but it was, it was a good way of bringing you, in that yeah. very Scottish way as well, of you. Scotland won't let it get to your head anyway. No. So I was never going to turn into Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Funny. That's, a, that's the big, dis- any show, you know, I've, don't, I've not got anywhere to do a show that big, but there is that kind of moment between performance and then the reality of, of going to a travel lodge on your own or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, it is, you know, I can't, I can't imagine what that's like after, after that kind of adulation. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, uh, I love your your Twitter feed. I mean, it's a mixture between... You do a lot of jokes on your Twitter feed. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of them are terrible. Yeah. And some of them are brilliant. And some of them are both terrible and brilliant. Those are my favorite ones. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's amazing how people get offended by wordplay. <laughs> like, properly offended. Yeah. But I just think, for me, a lot of the time, it isn't even about the pun itself. It's about the idea that it maybe conjures up. So... Yeah. I did one, it was, um, I've just walked past uh, a white supremacist milliner called the Hat for Every Caucasian. <laughs> That's, okay, so thank you. <laughs> Keep it going. So, no, no, okay, it's technically a joke, right? It's, it works. But for me, it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't the quality of the pun. It's the idea that there might be a Nazi hat maker. <laughs> it's quite a funny idea. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, like, 
I, I did one today. I said, um, it's really hard to, to break into the vat of nitrous oxide, but once you're in, you're laughing. Yeah. And it's just an idea that someone would keep nitrous oxide in a safe <laughs> in is quite vats. a funny yeah. idea. Yeah. But then sometimes it is actually about how tortuous, because obviously when it, when it was just 140 characters, the art was that every single bit of punctuation was a prisoner. So you, you had to be really, really tight with the, with, 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 the, with the joke. And sometimes that was part of it was that I did one, and this does work better written down, but I'll do it anyway. I said, um, um, I got invited to um, Fran Healy's house for dinner. All I got was frozen water. It was a travesty of just ice. <laughs> Uh, to, to me, now you're groaning, right? But to, to me, to get there in 140 characters, I was, I was kicking my height. But I, I, don't, I, I don't even know what it is about wordplay that I like. Because um, do you know Joel Morris? No. Do you know Joel Morris? No, D- Joel and Jason Hazley. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, so yes, yes. they've got this brilliant podcast called Rule of Three. That's right, yeah. And I was, because Joel's, a t- t- they're both like, like, like comedy, like kind of the geniuses. Uh, and I said, I don't know why I like puns so much because... I, you know, I get the thing of Schadenfreude. I get the thing of like if someone slips in a banana peel, you're laughing because it wasn't you. Yeah. But I don't get what what is it about a pun that would further the human race? <laughs> and he was saying apparently it was tribes looking for patterns and things. Okay. So it's any kind of pattern, any kind of repeat. So it's either looking for a repeating pattern or looking for the pattern being disrupted. Yeah. And that's would, what would further you on as a tribe if you could spot these patterns. Okay. So I was telling him um, about uh, I had... Uh, uh, my son Vinny, so I think he was about eight, seven, six or seven at the time, and he was going out for Halloween. Now I think this might be a Scottish thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. See, when you went out as a kid, or when your kids, because your kids are old enough now to go out to Halloween, aren't they? Yeah, they but they probably haven't because of COVID, right? But would they have to do a turn? Would they have to do a joke or a song or anything? No, no. Right. That's a, is that just a Scottish thing? Then we have to actually. <laughs> You just don't get given a fucking iPod. You have to, you know what I mean? Or, or Harry Bow. You have to actually do something. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no. So I said to Vinny, what's your joke? He said, do I have to tell a joke? I said, well, yeah. Uh, and he said, um, okay, why did, um, why did the chicken cross the road? Because he was Mr. Poohhead. Okay? <laughs> and I said to him, okay, that's not a joke. He said, why not? I said, I know why you think it's a joke, but it's not a joke. He said, well, why is it not a joke? I said, oh, Christ, I'm going to explain this. <laughs> I said, okay, well, let me tell you a joke and then explain why it's a joke, okay? And I was trying to think, appropriate, appropriate, appropriate joke for a <laughs> Um Okay, why did the skeleton not go to the party? He had nobody to go with. And I said, he said, why is that funny? I said, because no body means two things. No physical body, no body means no one. It's two, two, two meanings. That's, yeah. He said, well, why is that funny? <laughs> and I said, just do the poo head joke. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't explain. I couldn't explain why that was funny. It's not the best joke, but, I, you know, it's, I suppose, like dissecting the frog, you know, the frog's yeah, dead. Well, it is. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a massive fan of puns, but I think that because you've heard, my, you know, as a comedian, you've heard most jokes and you've heard most yeah. puns. So if you come up with a tortures or an yeah, original yeah, yeah. pun, oh, then no, that's, that's... That's the thing. I do, I do like, like, I did one, and, I, you know, I'm proud of some of them. So I did one. It was, um, now I have to get this right, um, Vernon Kay and Tess Daly have embarked on this new hormone salad diet. Uh, Tess bought... No, no. No, hold on. I need to get this right. Fuck. <laughs> Vernon bought his out of boots, but testosterone. <laughs> and I, I challenge anyone, anyone to have seen that pun. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's almost like I want to get out there because like, it scorched the earth. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah. But also, it also means that you meet people. Obviously, Twitter is great for this, yeah. right? But I mean, I did. I was listening to Six Music once, right? And they're playing the Selector. Um, and I love the Selector. And uh, um, Pauline Black, who's the amazing enigmatic singer of the Selector. And I thought, Black, Black and Decker. Pauline Black and Carol Decker. There's got to be a joke in that. And it won't be a good joke, but, you know. <laughs> and so I tweeted, I said, um, uh, Pauline Black and Carol Decker have collaborated uh, here. It's quite industrial sounding. Okay, so uh, Black and Decker, okay. Uh, technically a joke, okay. And I, I got a few replies, and then one said, what are you talking about? And it was Carol Decker. <laughs> And I checked, uh, I verified it. She just had dinner with Tori Wilcox, it was her. Uh, and I suddenly panicked and I said, oh no, it's just a joke about Black and Decker. She said, she said I know, but um, uh, I, I actually have recorded stuff with Pauline. <laughs> but, but we haven't put it out yet. And, and what I should have said was, do you not think of a corporate tie-in? It's on a plate for you, woman. But what I said was, well, I, I should probably do my other T'Pau joke. I said, she said, go on then. And I said, um, is it true that you opened an Atlas shop called China in Your Hands? And she got back with, I thought you were a comedy writer. <laughs> but me and Carol are like that now. It is. Well, is it, but I think, you know, you don't, you don't do stand-up, but you're, what you're doing is creating loads of jokes that you could do. As yeah. you say, you're doing them in front of an audience and the audience are... Really laughing at them, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you know, you you what, what's is it just? Because, I mean, you do lots of acting, and you 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 obviously do your radio show, and you've been and and you're in a. Uh, I was going to say sitcom, but it's not a sitcom, soap opera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. River City. River City yeah. Um, and so you've got lots on, but what what you know, you seem like a a, a, a comfortable raconteur and it's comfortable on stage. So I know, I know, and all of those things. Like uh, I've been told by a couple of pals who do stand up that you should you should do stand up because you know because of the profile you have in Scotland anyway, you can fill certain rooms. And I do think, well, what I'm doing on Twitter is one-liners, and you know, I'm a big fan of Peter Serafinovich, who I've been lucky to work with, and yeah. he used to do that kind of stuff on Twitter. But then, you know, does the world need another? Tim Vine, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I love Tim Vine, but I don't know if the world, you know, that, but I'm never going to be Tim di- Vine. It would be different. It's sort of interesting that you. I mean, it's great because I think it does. I think it's what it's it, the Twitter's the the main thing that's I I, th- I associate you with because you yeah. know because it, it's you're all it, it's fairly constant and it's constant material which not many people do. Rob Delaney used to do it, yeah, and, and that was fantastic for Rob Delaney's career he would post that I and mean, he still does but not on not on the same level because yeah. he's in hollywood doing movies i mean uh, for me i think it's it, i kind of see that as my stand-up because yeah. i've got like 150,000 plus followers now so it means that you know i've got a very disparate crowd but you know i've got like six wembley spread up spread yeah. around the world that can uh, give give horrifically torturous puns to um but it keeps my brain tonic as well it keeps me you know like for other writing stuff it, it means i'm match fit when i'm yeah. Doing other stuff, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and also, just like a lot of people come back to me and they say, you know, when I question, well, what is it about puns? And some people say, you know, Twitter is a bin fire, and it's quite nice. Just like there's an innocence to what you do. Yeah. Which it's not. It's, it's not my intention. I mean, I just like <laughs> I just like the wordplay. But yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, I just I was looking at it today, and you retweet things that are funny as well. So you know, it's a it's a it's a very enjoyable feed. There was a fun, just funny thing someone else did. I can't remember who it was of just. A picture of Clint Eastwood on, yes, uh, on, on, the, on, on Coronation, Coronation Street. Street. Yeah. This is the time that Clint Eastwood appeared in Coronation Street as a window cleaner, yeah. and it just really, it really worked as a visual joke. So like, there's loads of there's loads of great stuff. So it's it's well worth uh, having a look at. Um, let's we've got. Well, I think we started a bit late, so I think we've got another five minutes to quickly talk through 
Uh, you know, I was going to mention, I mean, the, the Peter Serafinovich stuff is, was amazing, and you worked on Look Around You and that. Oh, uh, yeah. But also Avenue 5, which must have been exciting. Is <sighs> Yeah, well, Armando's a bit of a hero, man. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, is that I met Armando a couple of times uh, at, the, at the BAFTAs in Scotland, and I absolutely, uh, like, clammed up. I didn't know what to say to him. But we've been to the same school. Right. See, this is the weird thing, right? So I went to St. Aloysius, which is a Catholic school in Glasgow, and I would see Armando's name in the magazine, winning everything. Yeah. Like physics, English, this, that, the other. And because I was quite academic, I quite aspired to be this guy. I didn't know what he looked like or anything. And then when I started seeing his name on credits for things <laughs> like, you know, um, uh, the uh, Bedelian, um, the, the, what's it called again? The, um, day to day. Thank you. No, no, before that though. Oh, well. Remember, he used to produce. Um, oh, he did um, the Mary White's experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So his name would pop up and things yeah. like that. I thought, well, there can't be that many people called Armando Nucci. Um, <laughs> if he's from Glasgow, he's the guy whose name I saw. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then he shows up doing all the comedy that I want to do. And <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, you, you've known him from back in the day. Yeah. <coughs> so, you know, everything he's done, I've absolutely adored. So I'm, I'm sitting next to him at the Scottish BAFTAs. And I just end up talking, asking, if he, asking him if he'd been abused by a priest. Because... <laughs> That was kind of, I thought, well, I'll just do the school thing. And he hadn't. There, there was an incident, but there wasn't, yeah. Right. So, no, but I, but I did. But, but I remember once as well, I was, I was at, at the same thing. His brother, David, who used to run uh, uh, comedy clubs in Glasgow, oh, that's right, yeah. was, was there. And he's talking to me saying, I love fags, mags and bags. And I'm sort of like shouting, well, it'd be lovely to do it on the telly. I'm saying, David. And Amanda's there but he's not listening oh god so i'm being really desperate now aren't i so no yeah i i got the um, the reason i got the avenue five gig i think is because annie griffin the director is a friend and she she's always really kind to me she always gives me parts and things right and so the part is to play hugh laurie's husband right. and hugh laurie's another bloody hero oh my god i mean um i still revisit old Brian laurie sketches um i think my favorite one is i don't know if you remember this but it's just almost like a monologue, which they've kind of chopped up. And so it's, it's Hugh Laurie in this kind of base suit and these like reactor-like glasses. And he's, he's, got, he's, he's fishing. He's got a fishing rod and he's talking about all the old jobs that he's done. And he's doing it like this kind of voice. And he says, um, yeah, for a while I was uh, Princess Margaret's uh, uh, PA, but uh, I gave it up after two years when they made it pretty clear that they weren't going to make me Princess Margaret. <laughs> um, <laughs> Arthur genius. So there, there I am playing his husband because yeah. in, in, the fu- in the future where Avenue 5 is set, uh, people are in throuples. So he, he's in space. He's an actor pretending to be an American, um, uh, 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 basically a cruise ship in, in space. Uh, and he's left his husband and wife right. in, 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 in London or well, in Britain anyway. So I got, but, but I got to meet him and stuff and yeah. he was lovely. So that, that was like a t- I also auditioned for Four Lions. Right. And Chris Morris is another living hero. And yeah. I managed to spend 45 minutes in a room with him. And I don't think I fangirl too much. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But these, I mean, like, that's the thing. I mean, I've kind of, in Scotland anyway, I've, I've kind of got this sort of celebrity status. And I do things like hosting the Pride of Scotland Awards. But what I want to be doing is working with these guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I do have, despite my kind of wordplay on Twitter, I'd quite like to be doing more challenging out there stuff. 
but it may happen. It might well, happen. It, you know, it seems to be going... We're going to have to wrap up pretty quickly. It seems to be going pretty... You know, again, you were in Stan and Ollie with uh, yes. Steve Coogan, so that's, yeah. that's pretty good as well. Well, so. so what happened there was, again, that was like a favour from a friend. So right. uh, John Baird, the director, he's a big Still Game fan and he's a friend. Right. And he said, look, do you want to play the manager of the Glasgow Empire? And I'm thinking to myself, it wouldn't be an Indian dude. But then... <laughs> The thing is, casting has changed a lot, thankfully, yeah. and I don't think anyone cares anymore. Well, obviously, people like Nigel Farage care, but yeah, there are some people who most, care. <laughs> most right, right thinking people don't care anymore. They, they won't like be. Oh my God, there would be an Indian in the Glasgow Empire. So was, I'd literally one scene. Yeah. So Steve Coogan was playing Stan Laurel, and John C. Riley yeah. was playing uh, Oliver Hardy. Right. So I, I, I said to myself, look, if Steve Coogan, if he seems like he's up for a conversation, then talk to him. If he isn't, then don't. And he didn't seem up for <laughs> okay. conversation. So that was fine. But John C. Riley was kind of quite bubbly and stuff, and he's in his fat suit, and we're filming. They'd, they'd, they'd mocked up, I think, was it the Richmond Theatre? Um, uh, to, to be the Glasgow Empire? Yeah, I think it, was. it was really hot. Yeah. So every time they shouted cut, they sat him down. There were two floor fans. There was two handheld fans just to keep him cool for continuity and for comfort, right? And he's sitting there just kind of recounting. He was saying, you know, back in the day, um, there was this really, really uh, overweight um, baseball pitcher uh, he, he was overweight, but he had a really good throwing arm. And what they do between ends, I'm going to say ends, I don't know baseball, was they pack him in ice because it was all about reducing inflammation. It was all about inflammation back in those days. Medical thinking was all about reducing inflammation of your veins, your arteries, inflammation of your liver. It was all about reducing inflammation. He kept saying inflammation. All about reducing inflammation, FYI. And then there's a pause. <laughs> and there's a fucking pun sitting there, isn't there? So I step into the circle of trust and I say, well, that's what FYI stands for, for your inflammation. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you, right? And he looked up at me. He said, actually, it stands for feckless yabs interrupting. Oh. And I felt like I was falling down a well <laughs> for about a millennium. But then he, but probably two seconds later, he said, it's Sanjeev, isn't it? I said, yeah. And he said, you're doing nice character work in the scene. Keep it up. I don't know. Oh, I, th I, I think you just throw me a rope. I think he's properly pissed off. Right. Yeah. yeah. Got to be careful with these Hollywood types. Yeah. You never know. Oh, look, there was... You'll have to come on again. Oh, happily. Because there's, uh, we have, we've, we've barely scratched the surface, but uh, absolutely love to meet I can't believe it's the first time we've met, but love to meet you. Likewise. I feel like I know you because of Twitter, but I, you know, I have never met you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the amazing Sanjeev Kohli. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. We're back tomorrow. Last show. Omid Finelli. Come along. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Rahulastapa from the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring, and my fantastic guest, who I know you know who it was. I'm not going to tell you again. You're not stupid. Thank you to Scamp Regard for playing this music. I'm indebted to my technician and friend, Rhys Thomas. I'm also indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, and to all the fantastic crew at the ballroom, at the assembly rooms, and everyone at the assembly rooms in Edinburgh. What a fantastic lot of people you are. Thanks for all your help. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStripe.com production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Thanks for listening. Go to gofasterstripe.com for all your download needs. Thank you to Chris Evans, as always. Not that one, uh, for the spectacular work he does on all of these podcasts, uh, richardherring.com for all your gigs needs as well. Thanks for listening. Listen to another one. Go on, I dare you.